It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for making this show a part of your day. I do appreciate it. It is Tuesday, October 6th. 2020. The show is made possible by patrons such as Terry and Teresa, Mary, Theodore, Elizabeth, Sarah, Kathleen, Phil, Matt, Jason, and Marlene. Thanks so much. I couldn't do the show without y'all. Also, want to let you know, Cal Cunningham has another potential mistress. I know. Who would have (laughs) thought? I said it the other day, like this is, or yesterday, I guess it was, that... um, when you catch somebody like that in the sexting, in the text, you know, texting these, uh, oh, I want to kiss you type of texts, that's probably just the first time that you caught them. And uh, we have a development in this story. Get to that in a minute. First, I need to tell you about the best equipment rental store for the second straight year, as voted by the readers of Mountain Express, uh, located on Merriman Avenue uh, at Reams Creek Road, the intersection there in Weaverville. It's general equipment rental, okay? And right now they've got the Husqvarna fall sale going on. So they sell directly to consumers as well. So not only do not only do they offer you all of the tools to rent for any project that you need it for, okay? They've got everything from, you know, air compressors and scaffolding to power tools and such, uh, yard equipment, all, all anybody could ever ask for, they've got it there for rental. But they also do sales and service as well. And they're the official licensed Husqvarna dealer. And right now, Husqvarna just raised their uh, manufacturer's suggested retail price on two mowers. Okay? Two mowers. By $1,000, they, they raised the price. But... General Equipment Rental is selling the existing inventory at the previous level. And once they're gone, the new retail level is going to be in effect. But these mowers right now, these are for pros, okay? These stand-on mowers are the commercial models built for lawn professionals. So if you are in the landscaping business, this is a great deal to get uh, a stand-on mower brand new uh, and get it before the price hikes take effect okay so head on over to generalrents.com check out all of the equipment that they've got there chainsaws blowers saws trimmers lawn mowers um, generalrents.com and you can get pre-qualified by the way for zero percent apr for 48 months and you can learn all about commercial fleet discounts as well family owned and operated for three generations general equipment rental it's your source for all of your equipment rental needs. Uh, General Equipment Rental in Waverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So Cal Cunningham, I see now the, uh, I think it's the uh, National Senatorial Republican Committee, the or Republican Senatorial Committee, the NRSC. They are referring to him as Kissin' Cal, I believe. Uh, first, though, I mean, you kind of knew something was up with this guy when he's from Lexington and he's posing next to a grill with a spatula and some frou-frou buns claiming that he's cooking barbecue and wearing an apron claiming to be an ambassador for North Carolina barbecue. We should have known that you can't trust this guy because you can never trust somebody who uses a spatula to try to tell you they're making barbecue. OK, so that we should have known. Uh, first, though, it was the not-so-steamy text messages, and if you want to hear all of that, you can listen to yesterday's podcast. Um, but the, the, that was the first one. These were messages that were exchanged with um, 
a woman by the name of Arlene Guzman Todd. She works out in California, and she is married to a U.S. Army veteran. I believe she was in the service as well. Uh, so we saw that uh, story develop over the weekend. And by the way, uh, Monday, yesterday, uh, the campaign canceled a town hall meeting. So he's gone back into the windowless basement, I guess. Um, but in reaction to this story, one, uh, see, this is the thing. Once this gets out, um, it was the one story. And if it was just the one story, then uh, different situation. But now... There was a woman who posted on Facebook. Her name is Erin Brinkman. She's a criminal justice lawyer who graduated from Harvard and now lives in North Carolina. She went to UNC, and uh, but then she went back out to California. Now she's apparently back. I'm not really sure of the whole timeline. She's basically blitzed out her social media profile, as has Arlene Guzman Todd. But here's the deal. This woman, Erin Brinkman. She posted in reaction to, you know, some one of her friends posted the story like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it or whatever. And she posts up in response, quote, he's been having an affair with a good friend of mine since 2012, not the woman mentioned in the story. Needless to say, my friend was devastated. But my feeling is if they'll cheat with you, they'll cheat on you. And she's exactly right, by the way. This is from the story at the at nationalfile.com, and uh, Brinkman does not appear to be a partisan, they write, as her Facebook page features a John F. Kennedy quote stating, let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democratic answer, but the right answer. Um, I'm not so sure. I actually think she's of the left. You look at her uh, voting record. She has voted. Well, she actually quit. I pulled the voting card here. It was, which you can find, by the way, in, you know, in North Carolina. She's, an unaff- she's registered and affiliated. But she's been voting in Democratic primaries at least um, for like three or four years. Around 2012, she stops voting altogether. So I'm not sure if she's had some sort of change of heart. But she founded a civil rights and defense law firm called The Pursuit of Justice out in California. And uh, she has worked with the California Innocence Project, the, uh, the ACLU, and uh, she's a fourth-generation Angelina with a passion for criminal law and social justice issues. She attended Harvard University um, uh, with a special citation in Spanish. She's a graduate of the University of North Carolina School of Law. While there, she served more than 300 pro bono hours working with the California Innocence Project, the North Carolina Center on Actual Innocence, the ACLU Capital Punishment Project, and the Center for Death Penalty Litigation. See, so I- I'm not... I'm not thinking she's some rabid right winger here, right? That's just out to get Cal Cunningham. We don't know. This was her post that she put up on Facebook. And like I said, now like her, everything's locked on. Her Instagram has been turned private. She's, uh, she doesn't share any, uh, there's no information you can get off of her Facebook page. Um, the national file story on this today also reports that, uh, Cal Cunningham has apparently met with the first woman on multiple occasions. And so now this it goes from just simple texting to an affair. And again, um, I, I mean, I feel terrible for the family, for, his, for, for all of the families involved here. It's because these are real people. And, you know, for the kids... It's their dad for the for the spouses. You know, this is their their wife or their husband. And now you find this out. And now it's all public. I mean, I can't 
even imagine. Now, and I, and I blame Cal Cunningham for this because, and I'm not saying that like to, you know, alleviate myself of any burdens here. Uh, but I mean, honestly, if you're going to run for U.S. Senate under the kind of Kleeg lights uh, that this race has drawn, because of course it would, because it is a flippable seat. And right now I'm seeing people on social media of the left that are irate with him, irate, because they believe he's going to cost them the seat. And if they don't get this seat, this was a this was supposedly an easy pickup for them, for Democrats to beat Tom Tillis, who's been trailing in the polls for months. I think he was trailing in the polls when he actually beat Kay Hagan six years ago. <laughs> he's he's never had he's never had strong polling. Um, now, I will say this also. The um, military dot com. I went and looked this up. Military dot com. Legal separation, adultery and the UCMJ, because Cal Cunningham continues to serve in the rank of lieutenant colonel with an Army Reserve unit that trains one weekend a month. So he's still in the armed forces. Article 134, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, makes criminal the act of adultery when certain legal criteria, such as are known as elements, have all been met. And there are three distinct elements to the crime of adultery. First, a soldier must have had sexual intercourse with someone. Second, the soldier or their sexual partner was married to somebody else at the time. Okay, so check and check, right? If Well, I mean, if the allegations are true that he had you know, a sexual relationship with these women. And third, under the circumstances, the conduct of the soldier was to the prejudice of good order and discipline in the armed forces or was of a nature to bring discredit upon the armed forces. Um, so obviously, if you catch somebody cheating, it, the, the first two elements are pretty easy to to prove. The third and final element is uh, where the simple question starts to become a little bit more complicated. And... Um, the explanation portion of Article 134 identifies several considerations military commanders should consider in determining whether an act of, uh, of whether an affair uh, could satisfy the third and final element of adultery, including whether the, the soldier was legally separated. Well, that's not the case here either. So, I mean, that would be an important consideration to see whether or not it, you know, he's in violation of the UCMJ. Um, but that's that, that's not applicable here either. The explanation portion of Article 134 identifies additional considerations for commanders, such as the rank and position of the parties involved, the impact on the military unit, the potential misuse of government time or resources to facilitate the prohibited conduct, as well as whether the adulterous act was accompanied by other violations of the UCMJ. So what does all of this mean? What does it all mean? It means that potentially Count Cunningham could very well be facing a court-martial over all this. Right. Like that's the UCMJ. Speaking of the military, if you are looking for real U.S. military surplus, old grouches, military surplus emergency kits for cars. He can help you put one together. If you're looking for cold weather gear, if you're a hunter or you work outside, this is the stuff you need and you can get it for way cheaper uh, than a lot of these outdoor stores. Uh, You get wool sweaters, military field jackets and camouflage, also solid green, wool and fleece toboggans, socks, Gore-Tex jackets, uh, military-grade thermal underwear. Um, Also backpacks, military-grade backpacks. They're going to last a lot longer than the cheap ones that you get at the big box stores. Um, If you are thinking about um, trying to get a really cool and unique gift for somebody in your life, think about some ammo cans for storage. 
Like you can use some of these things. They're huge. You can use some of them for toolboxes even. Uh, So go check out the selection at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He's open Monday through Saturday, downtown Clyde on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Joining me now is Stacy Matthews. She is a writer under the pseudonym Sister Tolja. She's a regular contributor at Red State and Legal Insurrection. And she had a piece a little while ago in the North State Journal, the title being Things I Learned from My Family's Battle with COVID-19. Uh, so, Stacy, welcome back to the show. How are you? Pete, it's good to talk to you as always. Thanks for spending some time with me. I appreciate it. So, um you're doing well. I should first start off by asking how you're how you're doing, how you're feeling, how's the family? Yeah, I, this week is, has been much better than previous weeks. Uh, it's uh, been a roller coaster ride for sure. The family uh, seems to be doing better. Uh, it was just, um, it was, uh, you know, a nightmare to be for three of us to be diagnosed pretty much at the same time with COVID. Um, but we. We we did remarkably well, all things considered. <laughs> so, and you write about this piece. You write about this uh, in the piece, and I want to be respectful. I don't want to, you know, go into uh, personal uh, uh, health histories and all of that stuff. But can you just kind of give us the overview? It's your mom, it's your dad, and it's you. Um, right. And are, do you all live together, or are you a are you a caretaker for one of them or both the uh, both of them? What's the what's the the scenario there? I'm a caregiver for primarily for my dad. I help my mom out with him, and I'm also, you know, in some ways, a caregiver to her too. Um, and I don't live with them, but um, I happen to. I had gone over to their house. Um, we we've actually been avoiding each other, believe it or not, throughout COVID, out of a you know sense of precaution. We didn't want to. I didn't want to worry about possibly infecting them or them infecting me or or, or whatever. Um, but we had, um, in the summer, we decided, you know, we were going to try to start getting together regularly again because, you know, you can't stay away from each other forever. Uh, you have to at some point try to move on. And so anyway, um, I went over there, uh, middle of August, um, went over there, I think it was on Wednesday the 12th. And on Friday, my mom started dry coughing and we didn't necessarily think anything of it because she has that, you know, sometimes and, but it, it did concern me a little bit, um, you know, because anytime somebody coughs or sneezes now, whether it's your family member <laughs> yeah. or some random person, you just kind of want to run in the opposite direction. But three days later, uh, that Monday, um, I was extremely fatigued, more so than I have been in, in years. And I, I didn't know where it came from. I mean, I, I don't sleep well anyway, but that particular day, it was just I could barely get out of bed. And my mom had started coughing more. She was sneezing. She was tired. Um, and my dad also was coughing. But my dad has um, several health conditions that make it to where he he coughs fairly frequently anyway. So we didn't necessarily think anything of his cough at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but by Tuesday, I was concerned that there's a possibility that, it, that my mom and I could have something. I wasn't sure what it was. But I, you know, of course, like a lot of people, I went on Google and and you know check check the symptoms. And became everything. terrified, and, right? Became terrified. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of did because one of the, one of the symptoms that get, they don't talk about a lot in the media um, uh, is the extreme fatigue that some people who catch COVID get. And I mean, I'm not talking about you just you just don't want to get up off the couch. I'm talking about you barely can raise your head off of a pillow when you're in the bed. I mean, mm. it's just just a debilitating fatigue, barely can walk to the bathroom kind of thing. 
And by Wednesday, I had a talk with my mom, you know, and, and she, she was calling her, her doctor's office and talking to the nurses there and trying to figure out what she needed to do and yada, yada. And anyway, uh, I talked to my mom on Wednesday night uh, that week, and I told her, I said, Mom, I said, you know, we, we don't need to tap dance around this. I said, there's a possibility we've both got COVID. And I said, if we have it, I said, it's a strong likelihood that Daddy has it too. And mm -hmm. that was a real nightmare concern for my mom and I because my dad has multiple health issues. He's diabetic. He goes to dialysis treatment three times a week. He's also, um, you know, senior citizen like she is. And they're both in the high-risk category, but mm -hmm. him especially. So anyway, fast forward to Friday. We, we get our test done at CVS. Um, and two days later, um, I logged on to the CVS website uh, to check the results, and it said positive, and I was just devastated. Um, I mean, nobody wants to catch it, but in my situation, because, you know, I had been around my mom and dad, and it was it was the, just the nightmare situation come to life, because I did not want them to catch it. I didn't want it, but I definitely didn't want them to get it, because, so, of, you know, the high risk factor. So were you going around to Trump rallies or Dan Forrest rallies or something? Were you attending race events in Alamance <laughs> County? Like, what were, how do you, you think what, you got Pete? it? <laughs> we, we, we are the ones, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because we are the ones that, that really did things what we assumed was the right way. You know, we, you know, the only time my mom and dad ever really got out was, you know, taking my dad to his three times a week treatments for, for diabetes and occasionally going to the drive-through pharmacy and, and things like that. They, they, you know, none of us were out holding parties and going to rallies or anything. You know, I would go to the grocery store or go to the gas station or maybe go to, to Bojangles and pick me up a sweet tea. You know, I mean, I, I, I limited my interactions because I was concerned that whenever I did go over there um, that I could give it to them. Uh, and we, you know, we did the whole mask thing and everything. We think we got it. We think my dad actually got it first, hmm. um, and he he thinks so too. But you know, he has a dialysis uh, center treatment three times a week, and he's around other senior citizens. Um, he's around medical technicians, um, and he he expressly mentioned um, there's been a lot of coughing at the dialysis center, and we thought he was safe there because they have protocols in place for people. You know, they do like a lot of other businesses have done where they were checking temperatures, asking about people's, you know, if they had been around people with COVID. But what we found out through all this is that checking temperature is not a, a foolproof way of, of knowing if someone has COVID mm -hmm. because none of us ever had a fever, ever. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, my dad was probably at the dialysis center for a week with COVID before we actually knew that he had it um, because, of, because of the extreme cough that he had. We, we know now that that cough was probably COVID related. So for anybody out there who thinks, you know, if, if you send your child to school and they say, well, we'll take the temperature to see if, if they've got anything, that's, it's not um, a good metric uh, for determining whether or not somebody has COVID. It's one of the metrics but it's not the primary metric. Now, uh, we need to point out also that you are in Mecklenburg County, which has been, right, you're in Mecklenburg still, aren't you? Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, yep. uh, and uh, your folks are as well? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so this this has been one of the one of the epicenters in North Carolina uh, for mm -hmm. outbreaks as well, and so I'm wondering, uh, were you in touch with the local health department? Did they do contact tracing out of the, di uh, out of the dialysis center? Like, what... What was that kind of, what, what process 
uh, unfolded once you guys knew that you had it? Once we were diagnosed with it, it was unbelievable. Like two days later, I was getting, I got calls from the health department, the Mecklenburg County Health Department, um, you know, I would, you know, doing the contact tracing, finding out where I was and whatnot, and my mom was as well. Um, and I and I was glad that the health department called. My mom had a number of issues that week uh, trying to make arrangements for my dad's medical care um, because of, you know, he had COVID. He couldn't go to the normal dialysis center that he went to. They had to make special arrangements. And it was quite an ordeal. My dad also actually went to the hospital um, to get a dialysis treatment. And while there, he was tested for COVID. And that's how they found out he had it. They kept him for a few days and then they sent him home. Uh, you know, just uh, did the monitoring thing and said, take Tylenol or cough medicine as needed or, or whatever. Um, but she also had problems. Uh, they, at, at University Hospital in Charlotte, they actually told my dad and my mom that they don't treat COVID patients there, which we found astonishing. Hmm. Um, so I made sure to tell that to the Mecklenburg County uh, Health uh, Department that we were told that my dad had to be transferred to another hospital because University Hospital in Charlotte did not treat COVID patients. So anyway, that that's another story and for what, another day. Well, I was gonna say, what did what did the health department say to that? They were well, they were they were shocked. Hmm. Uh, you know, they said we're we're gonna look more into this and we'll call you back. They never did, not on that issue, but they did call back just to check in to see how we were doing and stuff. It's funny, the health department actually, yeah, they actually kind of stayed on top of most things with us, which I was kind of impressed with because I know that, like you said, with us being one of the epicenters, so to speak, in North Carolina. I figure they they had their hands full, but they were they were calling daily there for for the first few days. Did they tell you that you had to quarantine as well? Like you couldn't leave the house at all? They didn't say that you couldn't leave the house, but they did, you know, say quarantine as much as you can. Huh. Um, you know, yeah, they did not tell you not to leave the house or anything. But you know, when you're a family of three people, like I'm a care, and I told them I'm a caregiver for both both of my parents, and I said my mom is the primary giver for my dad. I said, so there's, there's, we can only quarantine so much. And I said, not only that, but you know, there's certain things that you kind of have to to do. If you can't, you know, get somebody to, to go get groceries for you, if you don't have the money to call it, to get Instacart to deliver them or whatever, you kind of have to do it on your own. So you just have to take the best precautions that you can. But we, we, We've, we really, I think we had, uh, we did an Instacart order that week um, and we had food deliveries for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. um, because we we didn't want any interactions with it, with anybody because we, you know, and and even four weeks after we were diagnosed, we, we, we wanted to limit our interactions and we did, you know, because we don't, we didn't want anybody to get it. You know, we didn't want to be responsible for having somebody else and then their family have to go through it too. So did they do, did they figure out if there were other cases out of that dialysis center? Well, we, that's something that we're still trying to find out. Mm -hmm. Um, We do know that prior to my dad, you know, being diagnosed with it, that other people there did have it because he has to go to a different treatment facility in Mecklenburg County, uh, a different dialysis treatment facility. And that facility, um, they told them at that facility that they had been treating, they had treated other patients um, from that particular center for COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, not treating them for COVID. They had treated COVID patients at that particular dialysis center um, that came from the one that my dad normally goes to. So there, there were cases. We don't know if, you know, my dad caught it from somebody there. We, we still don't know that. Um, but we did make sure to let the health department know uh, that yeah. that's, where we, that's where we thought that he got it. 
We're talking with Stacey Matthews about her ordeal with COVID-19. She is a writer for Red State and Legal Insurrection, and her piece at the North State Journal was titled, Things I Learned from My Family's Battle with COVID-19. Now, one of the things I learned in buying and selling homes over the years is that having a good real estate agent really makes a huge difference, which is why I've always been proud to support and endorse Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. She outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina. And when Christy and I, uh, when we started looking for our house, we made one phone call. That was to Rowena. You should, too. Her phone number is 333-4483. That's 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. So, Stacy, what you mentioned some of the uh, the treatments that you took. Was it all just over-the-counter stuff? There was There was no prescriptions given to any of you guys? For mom and me, no, we didn't have any prescriptions. Huh. They did uh, later on. My dad's doctor. Now, uh, my dad had a telehealth visit with my with his doctor, and and they they gave him a prescription um, because of of his extreme cough that he had, which which helped him. And he's still having to take that on and off. Um, but but you know what we were told is you know to take Tylenol and cough uh, medicine as needed. Um, and if, you know, you had like what they call the, I guess they would call the red alert uh, symptoms like the shortness of breath and the tightness of the chest and things like that that are extremely concerning to get to the emergency room immediately. But mom and I never went to the hospital. We never went to a doctor. Uh, we were just diagnosed uh, through CVS when, we, you know, we took the drive through test like a lot of other people around here are doing. Uh, so, um, yeah, but it was, you know, when, when you're, when you, you know, I've been covering COVID since this thing started here, and, and I'm and I'm sure you have too. Yeah. So, you, I just you know, throughout my time covering, I, you know, I always took it seriously, but I always wondered in mind what what would how would I react if I were diagnosed with it, or if my family was, and my reaction was was nothing like I thought it would be. You know, I thought I would kind of be in control, like you know, we got this. But the first few days. I was I was in a panic, uh, not not so much because I had it, but because my mom and dad had it, and I didn't know they they were actually sicker than I was. Um, my my main symptoms were fatigue and the occasional cough. Uh, theirs were my mom had to be in bed more because she she was tired more, she was coughing more, um, and my my dad was coughing a lot and he was in the bed a lot. So I was I was more concerned for them than I was myself. So you mentioned you had extreme fatigue and you said like to the mm-hmm. point you couldn't even lift your head off the pillow. Like, how, so how long did yeah. that last? Was it constant or did it just kind of go in waves? It wasn't, it, it, wasn't, it went, it came in, it came in, went in waves. And another thing that they, they don't mention uh, for, for people um, when you're, they're talking about COVID symptoms and stuff is how you can sometimes feel disoriented and forgetful, which is, I'm still actually dealing with that. Uh, sometimes you feel not, not, uh, it's hard to explain. You're not necessarily dazed and out of it, but you feel a little disoriented. And like, there are times when I'm talking about things and I'm just like, um, 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 and I can't remember the name of something. And it's, it's not the normal thing. Like, you, you know, you occasionally forget something here or there. It's almost a daily thing for me where I forget a name. Like I'll be, I, I'll be even my cat. I'll be talking about my, my cat <laughs> who is no longer with us, oh, no. unfortunately. And, and I'll, and I will forget her name. And it's, it's just, it's not, it's, I don't even know if it's a forgetful thing. It's just, it's just on the tip of my tongue, but it's just not coming out. I, That's something they don't talk about a lot with, with, with people who have suffered COVID is the fact that you have things like that, that are, that are really kind of 
they're scary in the moment, but you understand that they're just a part of of the process you're going through and you eventually do move on from it. So, uh, yeah, I refer to that when, cause I, I experience that regularly. Um, I mean, I'm not making light of it like that. It sounds like when I'm tired and getting ready mm-hmm. to perform, getting ready to do, to do the show, I call it, you know, not, not being on my a game. That's that, that's the only way I can kind of refer to it where I'm like, I feel like I'm a beat behind. I feel like, right. uh, I can't figure out that word. And I know the word it just, it's on the tip of my tongue and it just happens more frequently or I'll, uh, I'll get hung up like, uh, trying to, to state a word, uh, and it'll just stutter, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, and what's worse is when it happens for me, like when I'm in the drive through, like at a Wendy's or something and, I, and I'm, <laughs> you know, want a hamburger and I'll be like, I'd like a, um, a, a hamburger, you know, and it's just say you know, barbecue, I, 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 just yeah. say barbecue. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I laugh at it, but it's like, it's frustrating, you know, because, uh, you know, and, and like the, it, this, that's not anything unusual for me to for, be forgetful here and there, but it's like a daily thing now. Yeah. Um, you know, so and that, it's noticeable that comes and goes as well. Yeah. It comes and goes as well. Okay. Uh, and, and have you talked to a doctor about that? And they've said like, this is something that we are aware is a symptom yes. or a byproduct. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. So, and, and, um, you met, so you had fatigue, you have this, uh, sort of, uh, I'll say B game, uh, sort of mentality <laughs> that, that happens. Is that it? Or, and you, you still have a bit of a cough, you said, uh, is right. that about, but is that about it? Cause I've heard, you know, some people, they come through this and they've got debilitating, uh, you know, side effects for yeah. weeks, months, and, and maybe for the rest of their lives. Oh, absolutely. That's something, you know, they're talking more about in the media now is the recovery process with COVID. Um, is It can be long-term, and by long-term, I don't mean just a few weeks, but it can be a few months. And a lot of it, you know, depends on the severity of the case, you know, that you had. And in my instance, my case would probably have been considered mild, even though I was showing obvious symptoms. Um, but I... You know, I went through the swine flu in 2009. These Chinese viruses, um, they seek you out. Somehow just (laughs) managed to find me every time. Um, (laughs) And the the swine flu to me uh, was, it was extremely difficult. It it took me about two weeks to fully recover from the swine flu once I was able to start going back to work. Um, But with, with COVID, it's been different. It's been one of those things where, like last week, like the last week I came home, I was with mom and dad for five weeks um, after we were diagnosed because I didn't want to leave them. Mm. I figured, hey, we all, we all have it. We're not going to give anybody COVID now because we've all got it. Um, you know, so I stayed with them for five weeks. Okay. And I, I went home a week ago Saturday and I was feeling fine. And that night, uh, kid you not, that night I got a sore throat and had it for a week. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Is this part of the COVID recovery where this is something that's kind of still lingering in my system? Or is this something else I'm going to be battling? And it wasn't just a just this lingering sore throat here and there. Every single night, my throat was sore. Hmm. And, and I actually went and loaded up on uh, things from the pharmacy, you know, like cough medicines, because I wanted to be prepared because everything I had here expired. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, but just I think it was Saturday this past Saturday, the sore throat just went away, and and I was thankful to God uh, because I didn't have I was like well if that was part of the COVID re- recovery process and hopefully that part is over, and since then I've ac- I've actually felt like my usual self. 
Mm. Uh, minus the kind of forgetting things here and there. But as far as feeling the fatigue and 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 the, and the sore throat and you know that things of that nature, I'm kind of I feel like I've moved on. I don't want to say it definitively because I don't want to jinx it because the way I understand COVID recovery is that even though you may feel well for a few days, you know, a few days after that, you can start feeling some symptoms again. Mm. Um, you know, so I don't want to speak prematurely, but as of, as of right now, this moment, this whole week, I've, I'm not on my B game anymore. I'm on my A game. And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> so, uh, and how are your parents doing? <clears throat> They're both doing well. The odd thing about this is Pete is, um, my dad is still testing positive, but you have to think my dad probably had it before mom and I got it. We're thinking my dad got it like around August the 12th, somewhere in that nature. And you have to, from August the 12th until um, as of last Friday, he was, he was testing positive. Uh, he, he gets periodic tests at the dialysis center that he goes to and he was testing positive. And, um, what we have found out from research and, and consulting with, with people who understand COVID um, is that sometimes you can have traces of it in your system for weeks, even though my dad, once he seemed to recover, I mean, he, he really did. He hardly coughed or anything. It was just kind of like normal, hmm. but he's still, um, he's still testing positive. And there's what they say is that you can have remnants of the, of the disease in your system for weeks in months um and and you can you can continue to test positive um which you know is kind of scary because if you're not feeling it and, and i mean you're you're feeling like a normal person you've gone through it you, you you're you've come out well on the other side and you're still testing positive you, you're kind of like where do we go from here mm. how do you stop testing positive and mom and i haven't retested yet we've been waiting for my dad to test negative before we went to be tested, but we assume that we're, we're, um, we're no longer positive, but with him testing, uh, positive, you know, it's, it's possible that we still are too, especially her. She's still around him. Now that doesn't so. mean that you're contagious <clears throat> though, right? It just means that you've got the, uh, you've got the remnants of the, of the, the virus. I, I don't know. That's a very uh. good question. I don't know. And uh. that's one of the things that's frustrating about it is because with him, you know, continuing to test positive, you know, we want to limit his interactions still with people, you know, occasionally, you know, when he, when my, you know, he, sometimes he will, you know, be in the car with my mom and they'll go just for a drive just to get out and get some fresh air. Sure. They'll drive, they'll drive up back into the neighborhood and one of the neighbors will want to knock on the window how y'all doing (laughs) you know how people are and that's great you know people are concerned because several people in the neighborhood know that mom and dad had covid um but you know it's kind of like okay i'm gonna roll the window down but you need to step six feet back and i need to put my mask on Mm -hmm. you know because we and they know i mean they know and they're still knocking on the window you know uh and so you know we just we just assume that by doing the social distancing thing and doing the math thing that, you know, if there is anything left in him as far as the virus goes, that if he does talk to anyone uh, or interact with anyone, that he's not contagious. But we that's not something we know for sure. So, right. And that's not something, it's not, it's not something medical uh, professionals have really given any definitive answers on either. Yeah, I've seen so. a very, I've seen varying uh, <clears throat> advice on that as well. Um, mm-hmm. So finally, what is the, uh, what what's the, what are the lessons learned for you and your parents? What what are the what are the takeaways? Oh gosh, it's COVID is just it's it's completely unpredictable. The recovery process is more unpredictable than actually you know going through it. I was thankful to God 
that it appeared that we didn't get the worst strain of it. It's my understanding that there are different strains of the same virus. Mm-hmm. That and that and that that's one reason why some people can be more um, adversely affected by it than others. It's not just a thing of. I mean, you 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 think about some of the cases you may have read about. There are people that were in the best condition ever. I mean, they were no health issues. They were you know had good nutritional habits, good exercise habits, and they died mm-hmm. from catching COVID. Um, you know and. My mom and dad, me, our, our nutritional and exercise habits are not even in the stratosphere of 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 a of a, of a super healthy person. Uh, so we we just assume that we got one of the milder strains from it, even though it did take its toll on all of us in 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 different ways. Um, so that's you know the thing is about COVID is it's unpredictable and how how it affects different people, uh, especially uh, on the recovery side. And and I I think you and I are. Our friends, uh, mutual friends, with some a couple people on Facebook who are still dealing with pretty significant side effects from catching COVID. Mm-hmm. So that's the scary part: is that medical professionals don't know a lot about what they call the long haulers for COVID, the people who exhibit significant symptoms well after you should be over it and moving on. Yeah. And by significant symptoms, I mean like heart issues, blood pressure issues, and and serious, really serious things of that nature. So they don't know a lot about the long-term aspects of people who have suffered from the the more debilitating uh, part of COVID. Stacey Matthews, she is a writer at North State Journal, also a contributor regularly to redstate.com and Legal Insurrection. You probably have seen some of her work under her pseudonym, Sister Told You. Stacey, we're glad you are on this side of uh, the COVID and uh, glad your parents are doing better as well. And thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us and telling us your story. Pete, thank you. And I do want to add one one more little thing. For people who are listening who may not have caught it and hopefully never will, in the event that you do, don't do what I did and panic because it only makes it worse. Just, you know, it, just try to deal with it as best you can. Listen to what your doctors tell you about how to manage your symptoms, assuming they're mild to medium symptoms. Just don't panic. Um, just, just um, Fortunately, and, and Mom and I have talked about this too, we didn't want the virus at all, but the fact that we got it in August, five or six months after it had started here, doctors knew more. Yeah. They know more. They know more now about how to treat it. Uh, you know, even though there's no vaccine, they know more about how to treat it and how to get people to manage their symptoms. So uh, people that get it at this point, doctors are more well-equipped to be able to help you uh, to be able to, to recover from it. So don't panic. Just just tell yourself you're going to get through it and have that positive mindset because, you know, that, that really, once I got over the panic, once I had the mindset that we were going to get through this one way or the other, um, it was it was a much easier mm-hmm. battle. Well, and to that point, it's just like any other illness or disease um, you, you have to look at, you know, every individual case is different, but in general, uh, there are, um, there are good, there are good stats about COVID that people do survive it. A lot of people, the vast majority of people, most people do survive right. it. Yeah. And that, that's not, that's not, you know, and that's another thing too. You know, when I was, when I, we were first diagnosed with it, my first thought was worst case scenario. I mean, like most people, you know, right. you panic, worst case scenario, <laughs> But one of the things, you know, a couple, three days after I was diagnosed with it, I remembered my own reporting on it, you know, and I said to myself, we're going to get through this. Most people who get this do fortunately survive mm-hmm. and they, they go on and, and live a live a good life. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, there have been um, a lot of deaths from it, too. Right. Um, but in, in the case of my family um, and me, um, fortunately, it looks like we've 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 turned the corner um, and, and we're getting better, which I, quite honestly, it's nothing it, to me. It's, it's just a miracle, especially for my mom and dad and dad, especially with with, with the multiple underlying conditions that he has yeah. for him to have come out on the other side doing as well as he's doing is a definite blessing. So people can and do recover from this. So when, if, if somebody out there gets it that's listening, just try to be calm and know that there are options out there for you. Stacy Matthews, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Pete, thank you very much. All right. So now more than ever, you need a good mattress, especially if you're like Stacy and you get laid up with COVID-19, you're going to be laying around for like two, three, four weeks. Uh, You want to make sure that your mattress is fantastic. So go to Mattress Man stores and uh, pick up a great mattress. Now they'll deliver it five star delivery service. Uh, They ship nationwide. Uh, But if you are, you know, a truck owning, do it yourself kind of guy, you can go and pick it up. They've, you can go to their web or go to their uh, warehouse and grab the inventory and go. Like that's well, I mean, you got to pay first too. Actually, with the triple zero deal, zero down, no payments for ninety days, and zero APR for twenty four months. So it's almost just like you go and grab it. Um, and so they've got a ton of inventory in their warehouse. A lot of mattress companies are now short on inventory because of disruptions in the supply chain that have been occurring for months. And so now it's all sort of coming due, um, not Mattress Man. They prepared and they've got a ton of inventory. So if you're looking for great deals, head on over to Mattress Man stores. They got four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Uh, online at mattressmanstores.com. They've got the Biltmore Collection by Restonic. These are made in Fayetteville, and they are the mattresses that are at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. So uh, if you want to sleep on that kind of luxury, go to Mattress Man. Christy and I bought our mattress there years ago. We love it. It's a memory foam, but they also have inner spring mattresses, pillow tops, and natural latex mattresses. They have adjustable bases as well, so you can elevate your head, elevate your feet uh, for circulation purposes. It's great for that. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. All right, uh, the largest contact tracing study ever done, 3 million people in India, shows that most COVID-19 patients never infected anybody else. It also found children can spread coronavirus among themselves, and young adults are the primary source of coronavirus spread. The study also contradicts the widely held belief kids are unlikely to catch the coronavirus. They can. Um, Also, they found 70% of infected people did not infect any of their contacts. 8% of the patients accounted for 60% of observed new infections. Uh, We were surprised to find that just 8% of the infected primary cases were responsible for 60% of the contacts. Super spreading has been suspected, but not really documented. Most of the index cases, the first patient in a change of transmission, were adults aged 20 to 45. Do you think this might have anything to do with the skyrocketing numbers in America right around June? The study also showed that lockdowns worked. However, that might not be true. See, this is what science does. And people are like, well, the science says, well, science says a couple different things here. 
because here's some other science. If lockdowns really altered the course of the pandemic, this is a piece at National Review by Jay Richards, William Briggs, and Douglas Axe. They say then coronavirus case counts should have clearly dropped whenever and wherever the lockdowns took place. The effect should have been obvious, although, you know, on a time lag. The lockdown should have gone into gone into place, and then you would start to see the case counts drop. How long? Well, new infections should drop on day one and be noticed about 10 or 11 days from the beginning of the lockdown. By day six, the number of people with the first symptoms of infection should be plummeting. And by not, uh, day nine or 10, far fewer people would be heading to doctors with worsening symptoms. If COVID-19 tests were performed right away, we would expect the positives to drop clearly on day 10 or day 11. To judge from the evidence, though, the answer is clear. Mandated lockdowns had little effect on the spread of the coronavirus. And so they have all these graphs and they show you that, you know, the curves are always sloping downward. There's this transition, but the 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 uh, the curves go downwards no matter when the lockdowns were implemented. You know, they say the lockdowns can't be the cause of the transitions. In the first place, the transition happened even in places without lockdown orders like Iowa and Arkansas. Why would their numbers be following the same sort of declines, the same patterns? Why would we see the same thing happening in states that didn't lock down? This is the same thing I ask about the mask mandates as well. Where there were lockdowns, the transitions tended to occur well before the lockdowns could have had any serious effect. The only possible exceptions are California and Connecticut, because they were the earliest to lock down. However, even in those two states, the downward transitions probably started before the lockdowns could have altered the curves. The reason is that a one-day turnaround for the COVID-19 test results probably was not met in either states back in March. Because, of course, they weren't. Nobody was turning around tests that early at the beginning stages of all of this. So, Because remember, the numbers, you're, you're, you're looking at the numbers and there's always this lag. Lockdown partisans might say that the curves would have been higher after the 10-day mark without the lockdown. Right? That's usually the argument when you can't prove that the thing actually is correlated. Then you say, well, it would have been worse. Okay, well, we can't redo history to prove them wrong. The point, though, is that the sudden and dramatic changes we should see, if they were right, they just aren't there. If we showed people these curves, they would not be able to discern when or even if the lockdowns went into effect. Again, same thing with the mask mandates. When you look at the curves and you say, okay, well, show me on this curve where the mask mandate took effect. And most people would think that it would be somewhere around the top of the, because if it looks like a bell curve, right, it goes up and then it comes down. And so it'd be, oh, probably somewhere up around the top. Because as soon as you put it in place, then it all started dropping off. When actually, no, the mask mandates went into effect way earlier or way later. And then it was already on the decline. There isn't any rhyme or reason. You can't prove the correlation. The curves usually start to bend somewhere around the same death toll. This is the commonality that they find. The death toll when it hits roughly five people per million. Five deaths per one million people. And what does that mean? It suggests that the approach of herd immunity caused the bends downward. In other words, we see in this data not only evidence that lockdowns caused the curves to bend, but also evidence of the very early stages of herd immunity, which is a good thing. That's a very good thing. Something caused this overall decline. It could have been lockdowns. 
but probably wasn't, which weren't maintained or heated in full force throughout June, remember? At the moment, we can only speculate. But if this virus is like others, its decline is likely attributable to some mix of changing seasons and the gradual onset of herd immunity. Another factor, of course, could be the use, uh, the widespread use of masks as the year progressed. The evidence suggests then that the sweeping mandated lockdowns that followed voluntary responses exacted a great cost with little effect on transmission. We can't change the past, but we should avoid making the same mistake again. Don't make mistakes repeatedly with your website, by the way. Schaefer Smith Design can help you. You want your website to look good. You want it to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional and be user-friendly. And while you know your business, you probably don't know websites, right? You know who does, though? Well, I already told you. Schaefer Smith. Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can solve a lot of a website's problems. Professional services, corporate, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you. Got graphics and photos and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He did the one for them for my show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. Now, here are three epidemiologists uh, who are making a recommendation called the Focused Protection Approach. Dr. Sunetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University and epidemiologist with expertise in immunology, vaccine development, and mathematical modeling of infectious diseases. Dr. Bhattacharya is a professor at Stanford University, uh, medical school physician, epidemiologist. I mean, these guys are really credentialed. Then Dr. Koldorf is a professor of medicine at Harvard University, biostatistician, epidemiologist. Okay, and they're recommending this thing called focused protection. As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies, and we recommend a different approach. Coming from both the left and the right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come, with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. Keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available is going to cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousand fold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including influenza. Our goal, they say, should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. Does it sound like a lot of nations and experts are coming around to the Swedish model on this stuff? They go on to say, the most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally, to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at higher risk. We call this focused protection. 
Adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. I've been saying this for months and I'm no, I'm no expert. I'm just some idiot with a podcast. Like, come on. By way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent PCR testing of other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to them. When possible, they should meet family members outside rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented, and it's well within the scope and capability of public health professionals. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures like hand washing and staying home when you're sick should be practiced by everybody to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. This again is called the Focused Protection Plan. This is put forward by uh, three epidemiologists who met in Massachusetts to plan a better response to the pandemic. Sunetra Gupta, Jay Bhattacharya, and Martin Koldorf. Will it get any traction? God, I hope so. If this is the way to go, and I know it's scary and people are going to get sick and not everybody is going to recover from it. I know. But I don't know any other way because I don't think you wait on a vaccine before life resumes. That's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for the support. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. Think about becoming a patron of the program. Get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.